Dear friends in Jesus Christ, thank you for joining me on the Holy Week journey. We began on Palm Sunday with Jesus being anointed with a very expensive perfume, and then in the morning, that's when he made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. On Holy Monday, we came to the fig tree and the important lesson that Jesus was teaching with the fig tree. Then after that, he went into Jerusalem and he cleansed the temple. All of those events are so significant. If you don't know the significance of them, please see the sermons I preached on those events. On Holy Tuesday, that was such a monumental day. Here in the Gospel according to Mark, we have 17 different events that are recorded just on Holy Tuesday. The day began with Jesus teaching his disciples two very important aspects of prayer. I touched on these last week on Wednesday. Aspect number one, it is vital that we are fully trusting in God when we pray. Aspect number two, it is vital that we are freely and fully forgiving all who sin against us. Such important things. Today, we come to part three of this 14-part series based on the booklet, The Holy Week Journey. Right now, we jump back into Holy Tuesday. It's still in the morning, and here we are now. We're on day six in the booklet, The Authority of Jesus is Challenged. Picking up in Mark chapter 11, verse 27, the Bible says, Jesus and his disciples came again to Jerusalem, so they'd spent the night in Bethany. Now they returned to Jerusalem. And as Jesus was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him and began saying to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do these things? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question and you answer me, and then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Here's the question that Jesus addressed to them. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. The Bible says they began reasoning among themselves, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, then why did you not believe him? But shall we say from men? And then the Bible tells us that they were afraid of the people, for everyone considered John to have been a real prophet. Then they give their formal answer back to Jesus. They said to him, we do not know. Jesus said to them, nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. It's an interesting exchange here between Jesus and these Jewish leaders. What's the big picture here? Well, keep in mind, it was the Jewish leaders who exercised authority in what we might call the temple complex. So we have the temple proper, and then we have the court of the Gentiles, or as I called it the other day, the court of the nations. So they had authority over that entire area, so what happened then on Monday, Jesus goes into that court of the nations 
and he drives out those who are exchanging money. He drives out those who are selling animals. So they're coming to Jesus now on Tuesday and saying, what's going on here? This is our area. We have the authority here. Who is it that gave you the authority to do what you did? Does that make sense? Like they have jurisdiction. Now you're coming in and taking action, and we certainly did not give you the authority to do that. So you can imagine how they were upset about that. Some food for thought here. Rather than give them an answer, Jesus gave them a question. Why did he do that? Well, first of all, he wanted them to think about the ministry of John the baptizer. He wanted them to admit that that ministry was from God, that John is actually the forerunner of Christ, so that one of the main purposes of John was to get people ready for the coming of the Messiah. If Jesus would have given them an answer, they probably would have just gotten upset and angry, but what he was trying to do is to get the wheels turning in their minds. He was trying to get them thinking. He was trying to help them see the truth. He was trying to call them to repentance. What about for us when we're talking to others? Sometimes people challenge us, and they might even challenge us in kind of a rude manner, and we could give them like a legitimate Bible answer, but maybe it's better though if we would give a response of a question rather than an answer. If it's kind of a difficult question, it's going to get them thinking on that question, and maybe that's a way that the Holy Spirit can open their eyes to the truth and lead them to repentance. I'm better at giving answers than giving questions. But I want to try to switch over to giving a lot more questions. Maybe God will use that in a powerful way. I encourage you to give that a try yourself. What about the source of Jesus' authority? Well, it's from God, his Father in heaven. That's where his authority came from. Like the Jewish leaders are thinking, hey, we're here. We're at the top. We've got control over all of this. They're forgetting about God up here. He's the one who gave the authority to Jesus to do what he did. It was all legit, and yet they didn't know it. They couldn't see it. Let's go on to day number seven in the booklet. We come to the parable of the tenants. Now, the parable of the tenants, we've gone over this a number of times here at Bethlehem, so I want to read through it. We're not going to spend a lot of time with it. But keep in mind, though, Jesus has just told these Jewish leaders, I am not going to answer your question. And then we move right into Jesus continuing to talk to these same men and now he's telling them a parable and understand the parable is about the nation of Israel, but the parable is about them and about what they are planning even then, what they are planning in their hearts to do to kill Jesus, to destroy Jesus. Again, I think he's trying to call them to repent. He's trying to say to them, hey, let me tell you a parable which is going to help you guys understand that I know exactly what you're up to. So at the end here, it's going to indicate that they understand it is about them. Are they going to repent? Let's see what happens. 
Jesus began to speak to them, to the Jewish leaders, in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a vat under the winepress and built a tower and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. At the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers in order to receive some of the produce of the vineyard from the vine growers. They took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent them another slave, and they wounded him in the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and that one they killed, and so with many others, beating some and killing others. He had one more to send, a beloved son. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But those vine growers said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. They took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. You just have to get the tension there, you know, of again, Jesus has just refused to answer them. And then right there to those same men, they're probably upset already that Jesus wouldn't answer them. And now he tells them this parable right to their faces. Who's who here? Well, the vineyard, we're talking about the nation of Israel. With the renters, we're talking about the Jewish leaders. With the servants, we're talking about the prophets. So how many prophets did God send in the Old Testament to the people, like over and over again, always calling them to repent? So the prophets told the truth. They told what was going to happen. They called the people to repent. And what did the people do? They did not listen to the prophets. That was bad enough, but then they beat them in some cases, and in many cases they even put them to death. They were saying, we hate this message, even though the message was coming right from the Almighty God. They hated the message, they hated the messengers, and they murdered the prophets. It was a horrible thing that they did. Jesus is trying to help these Jewish leaders understand what happened a long time ago. In a sense, he's saying to them, hey guys, Understand what happened a long time ago and don't do it again. Don't do it to the very Son of God. And yet that's the very thing that was in their hearts because who is the Son? The Son is Jesus in the parable. And then the parable continues here in verse 9. What will the owner of the vineyard do? Jesus said. He will come and destroy the vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. Who did he really give it to, in a sense? You know, we had the formal church back at that time, and yet the church was completely corrupt, as we talk about the Jewish leaders. Who did he give it to? Really to his apostles. So they are ones who are repentant. They are the ones who believed in Jesus as the Messiah, and it's really with them that we see the establishment of the New Testament church and now the truth going forward. But it wasn't with, though, with the old system. Oh, it might have looked so grand, and yet it was all window dressing in a sense. It didn't mean anything. So Jesus goes on then, picking up in verse 10. He said to them, Have you not even read this scripture? 
the stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And the Jewish leaders were seeking to seize him, and yet they feared the people, for they understood that he spoke the parable against them, and so they left and went away. Can you imagine? They were maybe close enough, they could have reached out and grabbed him by the neck and tried to choke him. That's what they wanted to do, and yet they were so afraid of the people that they had to just drop the whole thing and walk away, even though they're probably boiling over with anger. What should have been the response? The response should have been godly sorrow and repentance, and yet instead, the response was great anger. Well, thinking about those leaders, they must have read at some point, I mean, they did know the Old Testament scriptures, they must have read that the rejected stone would become the chief cornerstone. Maybe as Jesus spoke here, maybe they were beginning to understand, oh, maybe this is that guy. Nevertheless, so, because of their hatred toward the truth of the scriptures, because of their hatred toward the Messiah that stood right in front of them, they rejected it all. Such a sad thing. How should we respond? Let us always love God's truth. Let us always be repentant. It is God's truth that sets us free from the condemnation of our sins. Let's never forget that. Let's never stop putting Jesus first. Let's never stop trusting fully in him for our salvation. Then we come to the final day we're gonna look at now, day eight, uh, paying taxes to Caesar. So we're in chapter 12, verse 13. Uh, just before I begin reading here, we come to a group of people called the Herodians. So who are those people, the Herodians? Well, if we think about Herod the Great, he's the one who sent the soldiers into Bethlehem to put the baby boys to death when Jesus was very young. So Herod the Great, he had a number of sons, and one of his sons is named Herod Antipas. So Herod Antipas, he was the ruler over Galilee and over an area called Perea. So if you were a Herodian, that meant you were a supporter of Herod Antipas. So it's gonna mention here the Herodians. The Bible says, then the Jewish leaders sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus in order to trap him in a statement. They came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. Now, it's quite a statement that they made there. What they said was true. It was completely true what they said. However, though, Jesus knew they were acting in an underhanded way. Now, they probably didn't know that Jesus knew, but imagine someone saying something wonderful when in their heart they mean the opposite. Boy, Jesus, nothing gets past him. He knew that fully. And then they proposed this question to Jesus, is it lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? 
But Jesus, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, Why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at. They brought one, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And then the Bible records, and they were amazed at him. Here they are trying to trip him up, trying to trap him. They're thinking, hey, we have a great question here. If he answers this way, we got him. If he answers this way, we got him. We have him backed into a corner. He can't get out. And yet he gave such a great answer. Even they were amazed at what he said. So let's take a look at this as we conclude today. So what is it that we owe our government? I want to go back to that passage again from Romans chapter 13. Paul wrote, Render to all what is due them, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So, of course, thinking about those words, we understand what a tax is. Maybe we don't like it, but taxes are important uh, when you live in a situation of corruption the taxes are higher than they need to be because we have a lot of people lining their pockets with tax dollars so we do have those kinds of problems but nevertheless so when God says pay your taxes he wants us to pay our taxes we should not be cheating also too, custom to whom custom well, it's a little bit difficult to understand this word, but I think it's referring to things that are customary. For example, if I'm walking down the hall and I see someone, I say good morning, and it will be customary for them to respond good morning back. Or if I'm in a situation and I extend my hand to someone, it would be customary for them to extend their hand to me and to shake hands with me. Those are some things that are customary. And then thinking about the topic of fear, if you look there in Romans chapter 13, it is telling us that we should be fearful in a proper way of the government. Now that might sound kind of odd, but we have to keep in mind though, God is up here, we are down here, and the government is in between, and it is God who established the government, and God is working through the government to be a blessing to us. So God has given the government the authority to commend those who do good and to punish those who do bad. So it's important that we have a healthy fear of the laws that our government has established. Now, sometimes our government establishes laws that are contradictory or even opposing the word of God. Do we pay any attention to those laws at all? We don't. We're always going to go with God rather than with men. But for the most part, though, God is calling us to have a healthy fear of the government, and that means we're going to obey the laws of the government. Such a problem today, isn't it, with people running through red lights? It might seem like a minor thing, but if I'm stopped at a red light and I'm waiting for it to turn green, when it turns when it turns green, I don't just go. I'm looking both ways to make sure someone isn't running that red light their way before I go. So many times I've gone through like a yellow light 
and I look in my mirror, there's a, guy, there's a guy like a football field behind me, and he went through the light too. That had to be so red, but it's, um, it's a really dangerous thing, so be careful with your driving. As people obey the laws less and less, it does bring danger into the society in which we live. Let's not contribute to that, and let's be careful as we live, and let's be thankful for God's protection upon us. Also, too, it talked about honor to whom honors. So maybe you could think about being in a courtroom and the judge enters the room and people stand up out of respect for the judge. So those are some things we can think about with the government. There are many others as well. But the more important section here, what do we owe to our great God? First of all, let's understand that without God, none of us would exist. None of us would exist, so we really owe God everything. We really owe God everything. I put some words here that we owe to God. We owe him praise, thanks, love, trust, obedience, service, offerings, etc. Let me talk about those words just a little bit. So when we think about owing God praise, we praise God for who he is. That's the reason for praise. So we praise him because he is almighty in power, because he knows all things, because he is holy, because he is merciful, because he is good. So we praise him because of who he is. And then we thank him, not for who he is, but we thank him for what he does. That's the distinction between praise and thanks. What about with love? Well, we can show love to God in all kinds of ways. We love God by believing his word because we know that it is the truth of God that sets us free. We see in the Bible that those who hate the truth are in grave trouble, so we are blessed when we love God's truth. So as we love God's truth, we are loving God. What about with trust? Well, of course, we trust in our Heavenly Father, but we have this God-given faith by which we are trusting in His Son. That faith has been given to us by the work of the Holy Spirit. So our faith is really so Trinitarian, isn't it? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all involved. What about with obedience? When we think about the Ten Commandments, for example, the Ten Commandments, sometimes people think, oh, God is restricting us in some way. But what is God doing, though? God is giving us a way in which we can show our love for him. By keeping the commandments, that's how we show our love for God. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, not to pull that out of context there, when he says that, he's not talking about the Ten Commandments. But in a general sense, so, with obedience toward God and his commandments, that's a way that we show our love toward God. Of course, when we fall short, that shows us that we are in grave need of his son, Jesus. Well, what about service? God has given us life, God has given us health, God has given us abilities, and God wants us to serve within our own families. God wants us to serve within our community. God wants us to serve within our church. He wants us to take what he has given and use it unto his glory. Also, too, with offerings. 
So God has given us all that we have, and the Bible is calling us in various places to give a particular proportion to the work of God's kingdom. And the amazing thing is, God says, with the portion that we use in order to give to God, God will take that same measuring device and he will fill that with blessings and give it back to us. What would you like to get from God? Would you like to get like a thimble of blessings from God? Or would you like to get maybe a five-gallon bucket of blessings from God? It depends on what size measure you are filling to give to God as to what size measure God will give back to you. Well, we'll talk more about that some other time. But there are so many ways in which we can think about what we owe to our great God. And like I said earlier, we really owe him everything. Let's be so thankful that in Christ we are forgiven. Let us pray. Dear Lord Jesus, as we journey with you through Holy Week, we pray that you would help us to better understand who you are and the amazing things that you did, and then help us to gladly honor you as our Lord, as our Master. Help us to know that all that you say to us, all that you desire for us, it's always going to be best. So help us to know it well, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, help us to put it into practice. In your holy name, we pray. Amen.